if it looks like a healthy vegetable it's going in. In the morning, in the kitchen, Ashley makes herself a green smoothie. Right. Apple chunks, squeezing a lemon in there. Put in a handful of spinach. <laughs> She pours it into a plastic jug and shoves it into her purse. She plans to drink it at work. The smoothie and her cell phone are in the purse on the passenger seat. She's in a big hurry, so she's forgotten to close the lid tight. Five minutes into her drive. All of a sudden, my purse really smelled like the, the green juice. Oh my god, oh my god. The thing had tipped over and had opened up completely and filled my purse with green liquid and took my phone as its casualty. I drove home right away. I remember frantically trying to dry it off. Soak it up. Soak it up. There, there was green Soak liquid seeping under the screen. and you got a green screen here. It was just clear that it was never coming back. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch. Today, we're going to peer into our relationships with technology, particularly smartphones and the apps that come with them. Could you do it? Could you manage your world without that appendage? No more power in your pocket for texting, notifications, games, photos, live streaming, and especially social media. How could cell phones be a mismatch for us when they do all that stuff? Consider the experience of a woman I know very well. Um, well, you call me Ashley, but most people call me Ash, so Ash. Weber, Ashley Weber, and I'm a dean at a high school in Nashville, Tennessee, and I happen to be your daughter. This must be weird for you. It's super weird. <laughs> but bear with us. Ashley Weber knows a lot about the dark side of cell phones and social media. She's learned it as a consumer and as an educator. Now, let's return to that pivotal morning her cell phone's last gasp in a green pool of liquefied fruits and veggies. I put it in rice. I think I followed every tutorial that you've read about online. No, it, it never came back. But even before the demise of her iPhone, she was ready to rebel against her inanimate companion, the thing that was always begging for attention. I kept reaching for it and feeling it vibrate when it wasn't there. I was constantly checking social media feeds. I was checking for text messages. It was really hard for me to ignore. And I was conscious of not wanting that in my life anymore, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And so the green juice kind of took care of that for me. And I understand that most people probably would have gone to the Apple store and just bought another phone or pleaded for some sort of insurance plan to bail them out. But I saw that, I kind of saw that as a sign. You know, maybe I needed something bigger and crazier to stop my addiction to tech. And so I said, you know what, I'm not getting a new phone and I'm not going to get um, anything. I'm not going to get anything. I'm going to get a landline. Remember those? You stick a wire into the wall? She called the phone company. 
I asked if I could transfer my cell phone number to a landline, and that's when the line went dead for a little while. And he said, just just to get this straight, you want to transfer your cell phone line, one you've had for many years, to a landline. And I said, yeah. He goes, you know, I'm going to have to put you on hold for a while because nobody has ever asked us that question. And once he returned to the conversation, he confirmed that it was not possible. And so I would need a new phone number, which I got. It was a big red phone. Yeah. It it looked like the hotline to the Kremlin. (laughs) That's right. It It was bright red and shiny and had a very cool cord that I could wrap around my finger. So another bonus when telemarketers pestered, she could physically hang up on them. Please call immediately. Ashley did agree to buy a cheap emergency cell phone to be tucked away in her car's glove box. That eased my mind, her mom's too. But Ashley still had to explain to friends in her generation why they had to reach her through an old fashioned landline. And said, this is my new number. It won't work with texting, but you can call me and my email address is the same and I'm still the same person. I haven't changed. You can meet with me anytime you'd like. Some friends rolled with the punches and kept in touch the alternate way. Some of them. There were people that I never heard from again, but it ended up serving as this really efficient way to highlight who the people were in my life that were constantly showing up, who are interested in getting to know me on a deeper level and not keep everything on the surface. And I love that. I also started carrying a book with me because, and that was something that I wasn't really used to doing. But at this point, I started carrying a book. I started ripping out newspaper articles. So I still had something to read. But it helped me meet my goal of wanting to become uh, a better reader and a deeper reader, which I was able to do. And because I had to make commitments to friends and choose a time and show up, I couldn't cancel on them either, which meant that there wasn't any room for me to run late. When Ashley was a high school student in the 90s, the school hallways sounded something like this. Screaming, shouting, laughing. 20 years later, as a teacher in Michigan, she noticed an eerie silence between classes. They were turning into zombies. They were looking at their phones as they walked down the hallway. And when they arrived in my classroom, they sat there looking at their phone until class started. Nobody was talking to each other anymore. I had a rule that I set up Uh, the very first day of school, and this was just a part of the syllabus, that there would be no cell phones allowed in the classroom. So I'm not asking the students to just keep them in their bag, which ask any teacher, that's a strategy that doesn't work. I installed on a closet door a shoe organizer. It's one of those things that loops over the top of the door and has these individual pouches for your shoes. And I put each student's name on one of those pouches. But the rule was, as soon as they entered the room, the phone went in the pouch. They protested and they adjusted. 
But one kid carried on as if the cell phone he surrendered was still in his hand. He could only communicate with me when his thumbs were moving. So he would come in, and, and I was teaching French at the time, and I would say, bonjour, and, and he would respond to me, but his hands would instinctively rise up to his chest, and he would move his thumbs as though he was texting in response. And with no cell phone in With hand. no cell phone in hand. You're probably not twiddling your thumbs like that, but how often do you reach for the cell phone, check it, swipe it, and stare at the latest social media posts? There's an entire industry that is working on mastering this and gamifying the human brain. When we come back, we'll introduce you to the expert adversaries of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. So, my daughter launches a new chapter in her life. Her cell phone, having been sufficiently slimed, is now history. And that made me think a little bit more about social media. And every time that I went on Facebook, I stayed on it significantly longer than I had ever planned. Though her smartphone was long gone, Ashley admits she still checked out Facebook on her iPad. If I had thought, okay, I'm just going to check it, for five minutes. I, I hear people say this all the time, I, I'm just gonna check it. The problem with that is there's, there's no time limit to it. Checking it can mean 10 seconds or can mean 10 minutes or much, much beyond that. And so I noticed that I was spending way too much time mindlessly scrolling because it never ends. You know that little jump it makes at the end and the, the loading icon, because there's always more. Over 2 billion people are on Facebook, more than double the number of six years ago. Those who check it every day spend, on average, 51 minutes on the social media site. And that brings us to the Center for Humane Technology. The people behind it have formed their nonprofit group to work on what they call our digital attention crisis. They say the race to monetize our attention is eroding our mental health, social relationships, and even our democracy. And the biggest impact is on our kids. The center was founded by tech insiders, thinkers, and developers. Many of them left their tech jobs when they began to realize the harm they were doing. One of their advisors invented the Facebook like button. Their founder was the design ethicist at Google but left when he realized the problem was too big to fix from the inside. Max Dossel is the head of content and storytelling at the Center for Humane Technology. We're going through the largest social experiment in human history, right? This technology, social media, has affected just about every facet of our lives. On the addiction side, uh, any way to quantify this, Max? Uh, say, how many times are people checking their apps, their social media accounts every day? I think on average, we pick up our phones about 150 times a day. When Max worked in the trenches of tech, he learned the marketing power of social media, how it grabbed people and wouldn't let go. And I also used to work for a social media startup where I was designing notification structures, trying to take people out of their world and bring them into mine, because we were told if we could hold your attention for two minutes or longer, we had a valuable company. Um, so we're just 
we're deciding ah which notifications exactly should we send you what language should that be which friends like which which uh whose likes should come up first in your newsfeed um, we should autoplay videos because that holds attention for on average 10% longer. And so, so many of our decisions were based on what works best um, to grab and hold attention. And at the time, you don't think you're doing, I'm not, I wasn't doing anything wrong. No one can, no, I'm not making anybody do anything they don't want to do. But I started to realize the difference between what we want, the decisions we look back on uh, with satisfaction, the decisions we cherish, and the ones that we just sort of do when you put a certain set of stimuli in front of us, the things we regret later. Max Stossel's biggest eye-opener happened in his personal life. In the old days, he and his girlfriend might have made a clean break. Social media made that tougher. I went from really having a beautifully honest relationship with someone to then only seeing 15-second stories of her life that were just complete, complete nonsense. They just were not accurate depictions of who she is or what she's going through, but it becomes even more addictive because it becomes all that you have left. And then you start posting things because you hope that they'll see it and that they'll like your photo. And it's it's just totally, I think, changed the dynamics of how we engage as people. Not too many years ago, it would have been absurd to quantify your friends through a Facebook count or to worry about how many likes you get or to measure the durability of a friendship through a Snapchat streak. Snap streaks are something that, for those who don't know, essentially you when I send you a message on Snapchat and you send me one back, if we do that again in the next 24 hours, then we get a streak. Um, and so streaks are gamified communications back and forth. And what's happening is that teenagers um, get so obsessed with keeping their Snapchat streaks and keeping them long that they have things called streak managers, where if they go on vacation or can't use their phones, they give their password to five people to help maintain their streaks. Um, and all of a sudden, friendships become very... Uh, like we're only really friends if we have a long Snapchat streak or I'm only popular if I have a lot of streaks. And you might have guessed the people at Snapchat didn't wake up one morning and say, hmm, how can I create the most meaningful friendships between teenagers today? And at Snapchat, they're not evil. Nobody is like thinking, how do I addict teenagers today? But, you know, you think, oh, people love sending messages. We'll make it fun. We'll make it gamified. But there's a slippery slope between that sort of gamification and addiction or changing the fundamentals of a relationship. I learned about an app called Moment. It helps track your screen time, and it rates other apps for how they affect the mood of their users. Snapchat, Instagram, and Facebook left half or more of their users feeling unhappy. Here's my daughter, Ashley Weber, again. I noticed whenever I closed my laptop when it was over, I never felt better about my life. I never once felt like I was in a better place than I was when I first logged on. and. Being online is a different experience for women than it is for men. Women have even more of a competitive element. Um, there's an element of vanity for sure. And all of these pictures that I noticed, my friends posting, of course, they are happy and they're adventurous and they're attaining these skills or even goods that, or people too, because I was single. And every time I saw those pictures, Sure, there was a part of me that said, oh, I'm happy for them, but I won't lie, it made me feel unhappier about my own life. And the, and the self-promotion must have seemed weird, too. It did. It did, and it made me kind of angry. And it also made me angry at myself because I knew I was comparing the worst parts of myself to the best parts of them. And that's not fair. 
what I'm most concerned about is every two billion people being pushed to the extreme of their ideas. Um, whatever is in your mind, systems algorithmically figuring out what you're most sort of likely to fall into and click on and the unintended consequence of that being pushing two billion people towards less understanding, less shared acknowledgement of truth and more towards um, division and extremism. When we developed that new technology called television, there were many people who were alarmed about all of the junk on television and people spending hours in front of the TV sets. It almost sounds a little like what we're talking about now, but I take it you do see a difference. I do see a couple of differences. So one is that uh, there weren't a thousand engineers on the other side of that television who are updating it every day to make it more personally engaging and addictive for you. Two is that you did not, you know, when you went to work, you didn't pick up that television and hold it in a bear hug and carry it with you. <laughs> you weren't carrying that thing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you didn't have to go inside of your television to do your work or to connect with the people that you care about and the people you love. Um, and the television did not have the capacity to hyper micro target to you and collect data on you in those 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and, you know, I'm not here to say that all technology is bad or that all social media is evil. I just think we haven't been very honest to this point about what the costs are on our lives and our attention. My daughter gave up Facebook years ago along with her smartphone, but her old man has not followed in her footsteps. I know I'm in for a challenge when we pull up chairs at my iMac and click the famous icon. So, daughter dear, you are looking at my Facebook account. <laughs> here, here we are. So the first thing that I noticed, wow, friends, 1,160. Who are these people? <laughs> I mean, I reckon, oh, look at your wedding photos. Yeah. Yeah, that. Uh, no, here's my college roommate. It's nice to hear from him. Okay, what about the next guy? I have no clue. Wait, you don't know who he is? I don't know who he is. Okay. I don't do that. This next one, though, I have to read. A, you don't know who this person is, do you? I kind of do. Okay, well, I'm just going to read the message. There's nothing personal about it. Okay. And I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with my own special voice for this person. Just in case you missed it, my friend Jim is ordering more whitening toothpaste. If you'd like in, just comment on this post and he will pass along the details. I hope you'll try it. Pretty white teeth rock. Last call. I'm so ashamed. Well, let me be devil's advocate for a minute. Okay. Uh, On the plus side of Facebook. Because I can connect with friends that maybe have been out of my life for a long time and I want to have that connection again. Easy to find them. I can see some posts that are just downright funny when I appreciate a laugh. Uh, It might be a profound thought. Uh, It gives me the chance now and then to share something that I think might be fun for people. Usually Mm -hmm. it's fun, nothing serious. So there are some advantages to doing it. Just I want to know... Out of all the times you log on, how many profound thoughts are you encountering? And how many... Let me show you this dog video. (laughs) (laughs) Help is available, whether you're a tech novice like me or a tech junkie. 
Apple has rolled out a new app called Screen Time. It helps you monitor how much time you spend on certain apps and even cuts you off when you're hanging around too long. The Center for Humane Technology has a great section on its website called Taking Control. It shows you how to change notifications, limit distractions, and reduce the number of apps on your home screen. The tools are there, but of course, they mean nothing unless you decide to use them. Um, one other tip that I personally find helpful is um, a lot of people have their phones as their alarm clocks. Uh, first thing in the morning, you hit, uh, you hit snooze or you hit OK, and then you're flooded with everything you've missed from the day before. Um, the first thoughts in your groggy mind are not really your own. Um, physical alarm clocks are $8 on Amazon, and so buying a physical alarm clock and sleeping with your phone outside the room or across the room um, is a pretty helpful way to start your day feeling less stressed and anxious. Facebook may still be king of the hill in social media, but it has hit a rough patch. Last July, the company forecast a slowing rate of growth, triggering a one-day stock plunge of nearly 20%. Facebook is reeling from a data breach scandal and spending billions to add more privacy protection. At a Senate hearing, CEO Mark Zuckerberg did a mea culpa. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. I started Facebook, I run it, and I'm responsible for what happens here. True enough when it comes to protecting our data, but if we become social media zombies, is that Mark Zuckerberg's fault or is it our own? Whether we use new tech help or our own willpower, we don't have to let screen time dominate our lives. It's safe to say that my daughter Ashley is never returning to social media. In 2014, she wrote her final post, now preserved in a screenshot. Sometimes being plugged in doesn't involve plugs. Sometimes being connected has nothing to do with social networking. Forging ahead without a steady stream of incoming, 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 incoming is possible and indeed restorative. Thanks for listening to Mismatch. Today's episode was produced by Zach Rosen. It was written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. Oh, one footnote, Ashley's new job required that she get a cell phone, but she's off social media forever, I think. And so, with complete hypocrisy, I invite you to check out the Mismatch Facebook page and to review us on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you're listening. Our website is mismatchpodcast.com.